How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. You are listening to Booze and Baseball with Derek Johnson. I'm Dusty Baker. Pull up a seat. Sit with us at our bar. Let's talk some ball. We've got a lot of ball to talk about. Uh, but first, let's talk about our chug and look back at it stat. This is for December the 12th. Uh, Derek, we're going to take a look back to literally one year ago. The Braves, the A's, the Brewers had a three-way trade. You want to take the people through what that trade actually happened with, what players that were involved. Uh, and ultimately, we'll talk about who we think got the best end of the deal. Yeah, so the Braves uh, traded Manny Pena, Kyle Moeller, Freddie Tarnock, Roy Salinas, and uh, they got Sean Murphy. Now, a lot of those are prospects, so you know maybe we'll know more about some of those names in a couple of years from now. But certainly on paper, that looks to be a pretty good deal for the Braves, who Sean Murphy was excellent this year. The A's traded away Sean Murphy, uh, Joel Piamps, and they ended up getting Estiuri Ruiz, who was electric to watch, a lot of steals and everything. And uh, they also, out of the trade, uh, wound up getting Manny Pena, Kyle Moeller, Freddie Tarnock, and Roy Versalinas. And then the Brewers traded away Estiuri Ruiz after they got him previous, uh, I guess, trade deadline with the Padres. And they got William Contreras, who he also had a great year for them, too, and Joel Piamps, as well as Justin Yeager. Yeah, it's it's an interesting trade to look back on because, as you kind of mentioned, there are some pieces here where we still don't really know how to assess it yet. But, you know, one year out from this, I think it's pretty easy to say that it looks like the Braves, at least to a degree, won this trade. You can make an argument the Brewers did, too, just simply because Piamps was so good for them. I mean, the A's do have a pretty decent player, I think, in Ruiz. He wasn't fully healthy last year. Um, The other pieces could go any which way. Uh, Is that kind of how you see it, too? Yeah, I think so. I mean, who knows? Maybe Ruiz turns into a player who, if he can even get up to like a 730 OPS with the amount of times he steals and and what he can give with mobility uh, as as kind of a fielder in the outfield, like that would turn into like an excellent pickup and everything. But I mean, William Contreras, man, he had 825 OPS this year. He hit 289, 17 home runs, 78 RBIs. Like uh, the Brewers were not a great hitting team this year. I mean, it would have been a lot worse if they didn't have him. And it's not like they were the ones giving up Sean Murphy and then got Contreras to be like a replacement. Like they just, I, I don't know. I actually really like that for the Brewers. Like Sean Murphy was the best player in this trade, but you could argue to me that the Brewers got the best overall package when you add Contreras with Pyamps, even though they did have to give up maybe the, 
the biggest name outside of Murphy and Contreras with Estieri? Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I Honestly, this is a trade where I think it's an example that the three-way trade can work. And to a degree, there's not really – like I think the Braves are probably the biggest winner out of this group. But you're right. I think the Brewers have nothing to be upset about with how this turned out. And quite frankly, like the A's, I mean, if Ruiz, like you said, pans out the way that we think he can, th this could be like a win-win-win, which you rarely see. So uh, I don't know if we're going to see any three-way trades here in the offseason, but uh, this is a good sign that, you know, teams are going to get creative and, and sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But, uh, you know, on paper, I think Everybody was thinking the A's were getting ripped off here at the start of last year when this happened. And I think reflecting on it now, you can make an argument that all three of the teams technically got better in their own uh, right as far as the direction they wanted to go. So with that being said, Derek, what are you drinking as we approach Christmas time? Is it something Christmas related? Because I know that you feel like you just got a gift and uh, I would say the same for myself too. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I, I mean, in a sense, like this is an amber ale, which is more of a fall seasonal beer, kind of winter seasonal beer. So this is Ad Astra. Ad Astra is a big saying here in Kansas. Um, and an amber ale uh, are my favorites. I love amber ales and Oktoberfest. This is delicious, like brown, darker beer. Uh, delicious every time. Free State Brewing Company, which is uh, right here in Lawrence, Kansas. And yeah. delicious every time. That's that's a good spot to hit up. Like if you ever go through Lawrence or honestly, you're in the general area, that is a great spot to get, uh, get good brews. And for me, I'm keeping it pretty basic, Derek. This is my celebratory beer. And uh, I think you could probably guess what it is. Take a swing. What do you think it is? Well, originally in honor of Shohei Otani, I, I was wondering if you were going to be drinking Sapporo, um, <laughs> but I, I asked you off air before the show and it was not that. So now I'm actually, I'm actually stumped. Which, by the way, I forgot to share this. Ad Astra. It's an Ad Astra, Ad Astra Amber Ale. I don't know if you know this, but Ad Astra means to the stars, which oh. is kind of what we're going to today because Shohei Otani, to the star signing. Jung Ho Lee, to the star signing. You know, great is. stuff. There it is. We, we are both in very good moods because our teams actually made pretty significant moves. Um, yeah, my celebratory beer, Derek. It's always a Guinness, right? There's okay. there's never a bad day. It's it's it, the phrase goes, it's a good day for a Guinness, and I feel like today is a good day for a Guinness. <laughs> I've done this on the podcast before, but for those of you that have not heard this, there is a proper way. And if you don't know this, there's a proper way to pour a Guinness. I'm very particular about this, by the way. Um, I actually have my Guinness glass with me, which just adds to the beauty that is drinking. Straight out of Ireland is how I see it. Um, you're supposed to tilt your glass 45 degrees. There is a golden harp right above the word that actually says Guinness on it. And you're supposed to pour onto the harp at a pretty slow pace for the most part. And I'm doing it as we speak. And by the time the beer creeps up to the harp, that is when you let it sit just a little bit. So I'm not quite there yet, but I'm pretty close. Once you get it to the harp, it's right around there. I've got the letters, and we're at the harp. So now I let it sit until it is completely darkened and to the point where there's no, there are no bubbles around it. And then mm. once it sets, I will hit it straight on, head on, pouring it the rest of the way so it gets a perfect foam at the top. So I will do that as we go along. But until that, how about cheers, Derek, to the fact yeah. that we actually have an offseason now where things are happening. And I'm Astra, super to the stars. That. And, and right to the stars we go. Um, I think first, Eric, let's let's just get it out of the way. 
uh, there is something out there called Billionaire Vodka. Okay, Billionaire Vodka is worth $3.7 million. Shohei Otani, he theoretically, by the end of his contract and, and by the end of his deferral payments, could buy 189 of the Billionaire Vodkas, which is insanity. It's the world's rarest vodka that comes in a platinum and rhodium encased diamond encrusted crystal bottle with solid gold labels and neck band encrusted with channel set diamonds and billionaire embellishments and crowned with a number of diamond speckled hand mountain platinum flocked foil seal. That is a mouthful. I literally read it verbatim what they have out there. That sounds expensive as a whole to me. And Derek, I'll, I'll have, let you start off first. This is an insane deal in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the actual signing as Shohei Otani signs with the Dodgers for 10 years, $700 million? Well, he said he can afford 189. He can't afford any in his first year. He's going to have to <laughs> save up his, his salaries for his first crazy. two years before he can even afford one. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Uh, I did think it was it was good. You you had Guinness. If, at first, I was like, well, I was changing his name to Shohei Mick Otani or something like that if he's Irish. But no, I mean it makes sense because it was a it was kind of a slower process in the off season before he signed. Very quiet under wraps. I think that works well with your beer because it just took you like till now to finish pouring it right. So uh, that kind of works out. But I mean, obviously, this is a huge move for the Dodgers. They've been setting this up. For really what the last like two or three years, like they have let guys go like Corey Seager, like Cody Bellinger. They have let the books clear out a little bit to allow them to make a move just like this. They have been setting up the offseason to hit this move and it would have been a big I mean, you know, for, for most teams, it, it's a miss to a certain standpoint, like you're sad you didn't get Shohei Otani. It would have been the biggest miss, I think, for the Dodgers if they didn't get him because of how they set themselves up for this. And now the, the lineup, I mean. With Shohei Otani, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, that is an unbelievable lineup. This, this definitely feels like a, um, you know, we're going to have future problems, but we'll worry about that later. Maybe it'll be a different ownership type of thing when we'll talk about the deferments of the payment. When you're talking about Freddie Freeman is is getting into his mid to upper 30s. When you're talking Mookie Betts is getting into being like 32 years old. When you have this much money uh, prescribed to a player who is coming off Tommy John surgery, his second one, th there are are some some ways that this could go south in a couple of years where where things get a little bit weird with the salary but um how could you not be excited if you're a Dodgers fan uh certainly the Dodgers have already been this death star of a machine and winning all these regular season games you should be able to see Shohei Otani in the postseason which I think will be a really cool part of this he gets to stay in Los Angeles uh I, I know there's a lot of like Japanese reporters who live in Los Angeles and just cover him for their home like country or for their hometown or whatever in japan that's cool they get to stay and, and not have to move their families everything so uh i mean this is an unbelievably big move by the dodgers and um obviously the dodgers have already been good they're gonna stay good derek i i've had to put some things in perspective and you you nailed it completely on everything right there uh, one thing to consider okay we are completing believe it or not technically we're completing season four of booze and baseball okay that's crazy so by the end of Shohei Otani's time with the Dodgers, we will have completed 14 seasons of this podcast. You will have a daughter that is 10 years old. That is yeah. insanity. Your daughter is going to grow up and know who Shohei Otani is. And I mean, honestly, I do have a question for you. Is she going to grow up not liking him? I mean, what what do you do as a Giants fan? Like, how, how are you going to, you know, teach her as a young child? What, what is she going to like him, not like him, respect him? What are you going to do as a dad? For sure. I mean, so I, I've always thought, though, 
like I, I think there needs to be a line if if you're a sports fan. Like you you do have to have that line of like, hey, I don't like you as a sports person, but like it's okay to be like I I I like Shohei Otani as a person. I'm gonna root against him as as a sports fan. I'm gonna hope that he strikes out. I'm gonna hope that he you know does this or that as a sports fan. Right there is that line there, but um. It will be interesting because having to root against the guy for 10 straight years is going to suck, like point blank. Like he's been one of my favorite players in the MLB. I do think there has been – okay, so I live in the Kansas City area. Obviously, Royals are a small market team. And I've seen this with some other teams, but they've been some of the other teams that are maybe competing with the, the Dodgers, whether it's the Giants or the Braves or the Phillies or some of these other teams. I've seen fans, I've seen accounts like post a bunch of stuff being like, well, Shohei Otani is kind of um, – not not as much signing with the Dodgers, but more with the deferral payments has lost my respect or I'm going to boo him now. I, I think I've seen that here in Kansas City. Like people in Kansas City are very not happy about yeah. the deferring payments because they're like, this is just screwing over all the small, yeah. small market teams. And I do think there is going to be a sense where I think Shohei Otani might have had the best approval rating of like any player in the MLB. Um I don't think that was going to change that much with him signing with the, the Dodgers. I think the the way that the contract works out with the deferrals, um, where it really is kind of helping out the Dodgers in a lot of ways, I think that is going to change his approval rating. I think overall he'll still be very well liked and, and everything. And I I still will enjoy watching him from a certain standpoint, but like it's going to be very different for me. I will not be rooting for him to have success. Like I, I'm not going to like completely hate on him, but. You know, I, I didn't like how the contract worked out. I, I don't like how – I know it's legal and everything. I just don't like how it is kind of, I don't know, getting into the doldrums of the rules in some sense. So, yeah, man, it, it is kind of a weird thing. I, I really hope that we get Yoshinobu Yamamoto signing with the Giants. I've, I've wanted him on the Giants for a while anyway. But, like, don't you think that would be really cool for baseball to have a rivalry between, at that point, Japan's two premier players going at it against each other for – however many times, you know, two, three, four times, depending on how many times it starts to line up with each other. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be great for baseball. I I mean, think about when the Dodgers and the Giants, you know, the 107-106 year, how great that was for baseball and the fact yeah, that was they awesome. met in the playoffs. I mean, that was so so cool. Um, and, you know, it was a rivalry always, right? But I think it kind of revitalized it a little bit when you had two teams that, you know, on paper, maybe not necessarily the greatest, but – what they were able to reflect and do. I mean, that was awesome. So add an element to that. Yeah. I, I could see that being great. I think the giants based off what they did today, and we'll get to this in just a sec, but I think that they're still going to be more active. I really honestly thought Otani was a key piece that the giants were going to pursue aggressively. And, and maybe they did. We don't really know a lot. So from the Dodgers perspective, I'll give you my non-biased side and then I'll give you my more biased side um, from the non-biased side. I think that, obviously 10 years down the road, we're going to sit here and we're probably going to be like, wow, this is going to suck for having to pay, you know, 68 million when this guy's not even on your team. Right. Like that's going to really, really suck, but hopefully well, it goes well. Right. Like if, if the new CBA, if they, if they have a salary cap, it's going to screw the Dodgers. Yeah, but what if going, the luxury tax in 15 years changes being 300 million, then it's not going right. to matter. Right. It's, it's, it's a big question mark. Right. So we don't, we don't know what's happening. I mean, I don't even know what's happening in two hours. So <laughs> imagine in 10 years, right? Like, like who knows where we're going to be at in 10 years. That's, that's why I put this stuff in perspective. Like your daughter's going to be 10 Derek. That's crazy. You know, like, we have no clue what life is going to look like at that time. We have no idea if we're going to be living in the same spots we're in now. Okay. Like that's just putting it in perspective. It's crazy. Um, I think that the first five to six years of this contract, Dodgers fans are just going to be going wild because 
I don't see how this doesn't work out. Even if Otani can't pitch again, like think about the production he's going to give you alone with the offense. It's going to be obviously very noticeable. Um, I'm, I believe that this was the move the Dodgers had to make as well. They had gunned for him for years. And you look at Friedman. Friedman goes for guys that he wants. And this is a point that I think he had to deliver. He hadn't done that great in the, you know, the trade deadline. He hadn't really made a major move over the last couple of years. Believe it or not, going into the offseason, the Dodgers ranked 15th in payroll, uh, which is surprising. That's not – they below the Rockies? Uh, I don't know. I, I you're like one spot above or below them, which is I think weird. you're, I believe you're right. The Rockies are now at 15. The Rockies are now at 15. So I don't know right. who yeah. they're spending that money on, but that's uh, a story for another Ryan, day. For some reason, for yeah. some reason they made that. I, the Rockies are a mess, man, but, uh, that's, that's a podcast in and of itself. I think yeah. you and I can fix the Rockies better than the people that are there right now. You put our two heads together. We'll, we'll make that team better than whatever they're doing over there. I don't understand, but the, the Dodgers have been brilliant in the way that they've, gone about their business they've been patient and i think that's the biggest key right like they did not jump at anybody the last offseason um they were smart with their money and how they handled it with freddie freeman uh obviously they saw mookie betts as an opportunity with the trade and extended him immediately knowing that you know the next year two years the contract's probably going to be bigger right so they were smart and when they they jumped on it their biggest you know or i would say their weakest move was not extending Seager, right? That obviously really hurt him. And you see that the Texas Rangers have been reaping the, obviously the benefits of what Seager has been doing. But overall, what a huge move it was for LA. As for the bias side as a fan, obviously I'm ecstatic. Like, like I am very, very excited because- it's not your money. Yeah, it's not my money. Like we're gonna, <laughs> there are so many memes out there I could probably use, but it's just the idea of like, Oh, in 10 years from now, like, what are we going to look like? Ah, we'll worry about that later, right? Like, like, let's let's forget about that until 10 years from now. When we're doing this podcast in 10 years, Derek, I'm sure I'll be like, oh, man, this is the worst. Like, I hate this. But right now, yeah, I, obviously, as a fan, I'm, I'm super stoked. Um, I get to see a player that I also, too, have loved. Um, and obviously, I don't like the Angels. So to <laughs> see a guy that I really respected, you know, basically come to L.A., cross town, away from an Angels organization that has just totally crashed and burned on their own accord, right? Artie Moreno could not be running that place into the ground anymore. Uh, they should have traded Otani at the deadline. I stick firm with that. I still believe that is what they should have done because they had this coming. And now that Mike Trout is, I don't know. I don't know what that dude's thinking. Obviously, he's been dead silent on this issue. Maybe he doesn't care. I don't really know. But um, at the end of the day, the Dodgers have easily put themselves as the team in LA, right? Like the angels mm -hmm. are taking a massive step back. The Dodgers own LA and Shohei Otani is arguably the biggest face in LA that includes LeBron James. Um, that includes Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. I think that you could, you could have a legitimate argument that he is now the biggest face LeBron, probably a bigger face in the United States. But as far as what Shohei does internationally, you can make that argument. I know LeBron has a big fan base also in Europe, so you could have a legit argument. It's an easy one-two in some way, shape, or form there. But um, good for the Dodgers, good for Dodgers fans, excited for that. Um, and, yeah, I sneakily, like, I sit here looking at the structure of the deal, and I kind of laugh because I know that the major argument is this. Like, I know that it's sneaky. I know that it's it's bizarre. I know that fans aren't, a, aren't happy about it. And if I was a fan of any of the other 29 teams, I would be flipping mad. I would be so upset because my 
owner or my, you know, GM didn't think of this first. So that's why I'd be upset. Like, that's what it comes down to. It is a very, you know, unconventional way of doing it. And I know people are pissed at the end of the day. Like, I think that it's probably going to set off, you know, more players doing this. Who knows if yeah. they're going to do it to this degree. So we'll, we'll see. Um, I think that's what it is. It's that it coincides with being the, I don't know, face of the MLB, I guess you could say the highest yeah. paid player in the MLB. Like the fact, like it would have been one thing if, if the guy who got the deferrals was, I don't know, Seth Lugo or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's a little yeah. different being this. Yeah. Well, we'll get to Seth Lugo in a moment. We, we, one big thing, man, this is a big signing. And I just, I think people need to take a step back and realize like, this is a dude that has revolutionized baseball. So it's exciting. I obviously having him on my team, I'm stoked, but uh, let's talk about the guy that's going to your team, by the way, Derek, because I think this is super important. I'm going to call this Yobo Soju. I'm going to say that correctly here. Yobo Soju. I'm going to try to get some of this for next week on the show. I think think you need to, because this is how you celebrate. It's, It's considered the best Korean vodka. Now what's weird about it is it's a Korean American that actually created this vodka and uh, they essentially struck out on the traditional methods of soju making and chose to produce soju entirely from local grapes surrounding Northern California, as opposed to rice and other grains commonly found uh, in their clear spirit. So there is a Northern California influence on the best Korean vodka. Meant to be. It almost, it, it just seems poetic right here, Derek. Like I, when I looked at this, I'm like, this, this couldn't be any better so Jung Hu Lee signed six years, 113 mil with the Giants. How are you feeling, man? I'm feeling great, uh, mostly because, I mean, this is a risk. Like a player coming from the Korean baseball organization, um, there, there's not usually the really good pitchers are in Japan, not as much in Korea. Like Merrill Kelly reset his career in in Korea, and that, that's a great example of one. But usually the like hard-throwing flamethrowers are in Japan. The Korean guys, it's, it's maybe like Merrill Kelly's not a hard thrower, right? So how does he translate over to guys throwing, you know, mid-90s, upper-90s, stuff like that? I do think one thing that's helpful, although he didn't have to play those upper-90s guys, I saw a stat today that he only whiffed on 3% of fastballs that he faced in the Korean bit, which is insane. Over the course of his career – which goes back, he started playing at the professional level at the highest level when he was uh, 18 years old in Korea. So this is not like a situation where he's only played the past couple of years in Korea and like when he's, you know, getting his prime. He, he had to go through growing pains in the Korean Baseball League. And even then, over the course of his years since 2017, he has 383 walks compared to 304 strikeouts. He has an 898 career OPS there. Um, I think Ha Seung Kim, out of comparison, who comes from the, the same league before the, the Padres, had about an 866, so a little bit better than that. I think man. some of – yeah, Ha Seung Kim turned into a really good player this year, right? Yeah. And the max the max that he had like is almost 100 OPS points better than Kim when you're looking at like the best season. He's a former MVP there and everything. Um, he's certainly somebody who I'm excited for. He's a five-time gold glove winner over there. Now, how that translates again to, to this will be interesting – uh, and an awesome nickname too. His dad played in the Korean Baseball League, and his nick- was nicknamed "Son of Wind" because he was so fast. Now Jung Hoo Lee's not as fast as his dad. Uh, some of the steal numbers closer to just being like five to ten to fifteen a game. He does have decent speed, good fielder, and everything as we talked about. But um, his nickname because of that is "Grandson of Wind," which I absolutely love That's that. Fantastic. So it That's is a cool. risk. I I could see Jung Hoo Lee having an okay first year because remember when Ha Seung Kim came over. 
there was like a year, year and a half, two-year adjustment. And then he started to break out like the second half of last year. And then this year he had an excellent year. I could see it not being like a hit the ground running type of thing, but the Giants needed defense. The Giants needed a splash. The Giants needed a fan favorite. They needed a reason to have people come out uh, and show that you're financially putting money in there. The previous most money that Farhan Daidi had spent on a contract in total money uh, in his previous, whatever, four, five, six seasons as a, as as the guy, the, the front office guy for the Giants, was Mitch Hanniger, $43.5 million. You so needed bad. to put something into this. So it is a risk, but I love the risk they're taking, and I really am excited to watch Jung Hoo Lee. To, to your point as well about kind of the timing as far as a player, you know, comes overseas and they kind of have to figure it out for a little bit. You know, it even happened with Otani, right? Yeah. You, you saw Otani for a little bit there struggle. like. At one point, I remember in our fantasy league, his batter side was available. I mean, think <laughs> about that pickup right there. Um, you looked at the numbers with Otani, and I think he really regressed in 2020, and then all of a sudden had his uh, major rise, right? So don't expect you know this guy to essentially step up immediately, but obviously it's exciting, right? And to look at the numbers that he had most recently, he finished with a batting line that was 349, 421, 575, good for a WRC plus of 175. And to keep an idea of this, like the basic is 100, right? So like that's where league average is 100. So he was well above league average, um, 75% technically better than league average. So winning the gold glove five straight years, I, I think that you got a stud, man. Like I think that it's going to be really exciting to watch that. And it, it kind of to your point also about having Yamamoto, even if the Giants don't sign him, like you have now a really unique situation because the Dodgers and the Giants have signed two international stars, right? So that's pretty cool. And they're from two different countries. So who knows? Maybe that's even a rivalry in and of itself. I, I just, I think that there's going to be a lot to talk about for both teams this year. So I'm very excited about that. And just looking at the numbers, looking at the peripherals for this kid, he's 25 years old, man. He, he's got so much time to grow. Yeah. He's technically going into his prime right now. So, yeah, my one thing to Giants fans, I would warn, if he's hitting, say, 230, 240 halfway through this regular season, please don't call him a bust. Like, just please don't do it. He's young. Mm -hmm. He's going to have to adjust, and he's going to. These players, like, you've seen it with Hasso and Kim. Like, it sometimes takes some time to adjust to the MLB pitching, to the dynamic. Think about how difficult it is outside of baseball, you know, just adjusting to – playing in that locker room, uh, adjusting to a lifestyle. Like it is no surprise when guys come from overseas and do not shine right off the bat. But then you see guys like this past year and Yoshida, you know, had success early on. So I think that it's a great signing, man. I would be very excited if I were you. And, you know, I think MLB trade rumors had him as like a five-year, $50 million deal. I really don't care about the money that you throw at him because – at the end of the day, he's a young kid in his prime that should give you good defense and a good bat, and that is really all that matters. And an AAV of essentially 18 mil is, I think, very fair for what you're trying to go for. So good signing for the Giants. We're going to quickly wrap up what else has gone on here, and then we'll head on out. Derek, uh, I think the big one here outside of the two teams that we talk about and, and root for, Juan Soto getting traded. Um, obviously, he's a generational player. This is a bit of a different circumstance considering he only has one year left. We don't know if, you know, there's any option for him to possibly sign with the Yankees after the deal that took place. Um, but overall, what I will say is this, like, it's a very unique deal 
Since Juan Soto and Trent Grisham go to the Yankees, the Padres receive Michael King, Drew Thorpe, Johnny Brito, Randy Vasquez, and Kyle Higashioka. I think the Padres got actually a decent return considering how much they truly gave up to get Soto. I don't think it's as bad as people were making it out to be. I'm a big fan of what Drew Thorpe has the capabilities to be. Um, I think Brito's got a decent future ahead of him. And Michael King has shown promise to be a really strong pitcher that can actually go deep in games and strike guys out. So I'm not totally upset with the return, considering the fact that the Padres just traded for Soto. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and I love King in that ballpark now, too. I, I think what was working against the Padres there was that you saw how much they had to give up to get Soto from the Nationals. And so you were almost just inherently being like, oh, well, that's not as good as giving up, you know, James Wood and, and all these guys that they had at CJ Abrams that they'd give the Nationals. But that's because they traded for him when he had two and a half years left of, of control. You know what I mean? Like, this is different. Now he only has one more year left of control control of course you're not going to get the same i actually i I think it's a decent um offer and everything that's going back their way uh especially since they needed to kind of shed money anyway so it'll help them do that um for the yankees i I think this works out well uh they're kind of a star market too they they need to build out some more of their depth and everything but uh that's a good place to start when you have juan soto aaron judge garrett cole and and a lot of money because they're you're the new york Yankees to try to fill out those other things. Um, and we'll see if Juan Soto ends up re-signing with them because that will make this trade even you know more valuable for them. He had some comments today that he uh, definitely made it sound like he's not going to re-sign until he enters free agency and maybe try to maximize his dollar. Then again, that could be a negotiating tactic to make sure you know they really offer him a ton of money, but um, that's going to be a heck of a lineup. But the problem is, the one thing for the Yankees that I think is a little bit scary here is that now Aaron Judge is going to have to play more center field. And if Aaron Judge has to play more center field, that makes him more injury prone, correct? And if he's more injury prone, we saw they were a much different team when he was healthy versus when he was not. When they were healthy, when he was healthy, they were a playoff caliber team. When he was not healthy, they were a bad team. And now you have the combination of that. You have the combination of Juan Soto was not a good fielder last year. Now, was that just a want-to thing? Will he try more with the Yankees, you know, because he has the arm and and some of the athleticism and stuff? I don't know. But I I do think there's more questions here for the Yankees than you might think on the surface. But still, I can't blame them because anytime you have a chance to acquire a player like Juan Soto, you go out and you do it and you figure out the rest from there. So, yeah, I, I think this actually makes sense for both sides. I I echo everything you said. I think that they've still got a lot of work ahead of them. Um, It's a weird team because obviously, you know, barely over 500 this past year, which for the Yankees, that's a failure. Um, You bring in Soto with a short porch. That's going to be pretty sweet to watch. I'm expecting him to hit a bombs well over the short porch. I don't even think he needs that, but uh, you know, give him a short porch and maybe, you know, four or five baseballs that he gets underneath that normally don't go out all of a sudden do. So yeah, I expect the home run total, the power numbers to go up. Like it's going to be, it's a good place for him. I don't think a lot of people are talking about this. So because he gets traded in New York, his numbers probably will be inflated a little bit based off the ballpark. So imagine going into free agency with his best power numbers, best RBI numbers. He's going to be in a better lineup, it seems, we think. Um, but overall, to be in a ballpark where it favors him versus San Diego, where it definitely didn't, I think that you're going to see maybe there's a couple more million dollars he's about to get because of the fact that he's going to see more power numbers and probably more hits. I think it's just going to favor him a lot more. So it's a good situation for him. And uh, I'm curious. I'm curious to see if that 
ups his value any more than it already is at because I think everybody kind of agrees this is a 400 to 500 million dollar player absolutely I mean the OBP is outrageous by the way I I, I totally agree with you with the production and I think he'll pull the ball more to take advantage of that uh out in right field but oddly enough this past year I, I I was surprised reading this I just pulled this up on baseball savant Juan Soto had 35 home runs this year if every game was played in Yankee Stadium it says he would have had 27. So That's maybe weird. he's not pulling the ball a ton this year, which I guess yeah. makes sense because he is kind of an all-around hitter. Yeah. What what if it did have the inverse reaction? Now I, I think he'll adjust wow. to the ballpark and, and I do think that, yeah, I agree with you. I think it'll have a positive impact. But I don't know, maybe in the back of your mind, keep in mind. I'm I'm we'll keep an eye on that number. I'm yeah. I'm curious about it. Uh real quickly before we head out here, there were a lot of signings that I think kind of popped out of nowhere that were a little more low-key, but still significant to talk about real quickly. The D-backs, they signed Eduardo Rodriguez to a four-year deal worth $80 million. That was on the same day, at really the same time as Juan Soto getting traded. The Reds signed Jamer Condelario to a three-year deal worth $45 million. It also has a fourth-year option. Uh, I believe that's a club option. The Orioles signed Craig Kimbrell. That's on a one-year deal. The Red Sox trade for Tyler O'Neill. Of course, Yoshi Yamamoto's market is heating up. We're hearing that possibly Tyler Glass now, Dylan Cease, Corbin Burns, Shane Bieber could be dealt. The Royals have been somewhat active. They've signed Will Smith, who, if there's any indication, that means they're going to win the World Series because he's won it three straight <laughs> years. Uh, they've signed Seth Lugo to a three-year deal worth 45, and then they signed Chris Stratton as well. Out of those deals, Derek, what kind of stands out? It could be more than one. Are there any sure. of those that surprise you? Any of those that you're like, wow, that's a good fit? Or maybe one that you don't really see? I really like the Diamondbacks one for Erod. Um, even though they made the World Series, you saw they were kind of limping through some of those games where they had to start Brandon Fott, who I think will be better this year, or some of the other pitchers. So it gives them an extra guy to go to i really like that for them i think tyler o'neill go to the red sox that's a great spot for him to kind of have a rebound season uh, i really like him and then uh i mean i i can't remember a starting pitching market in terms of the, the guys available via trade being as good as this one is like seriously tyler glass now dylan Cease, corbin burns shane bieber all those guys i'm, I'm a little less high on shane bieber but specifically with the first three and, and still this wouldn't surprise me with bieber any of those guys it wouldn't shock me if they were acquired by a team and were starting game one or game two of a wild card or divisional round series or something like that. So um, there's going to be some fun blockbuster trades. I think now that Otani signed, you're seeing things start to free up. I think once Yamamoto uh, signs too, then that'll open up the rest of the, the pitcher market even more. And I think things are about to be an avalanche here over the next month or so. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think Glass now is going to be the first one traded. Um, his name seems to be floating around a lot. Curious to see if Lubob, Good old Luis Robert gets traded along with Dylan Cease in a massive deal. Uh, does a Rosa Reina get traded in a package with Glass now? Uh, that's a possibility, too. We've been hearing all sorts of rumors. Excited to see some potential moves that happen here over the coming weeks until Derek and I do this again. Uh, since I cover the Reds, I'll say this. I think a guy that you're going to hear now possibly traded as soon as, you know, the next time we do this podcast, Jonathan India. Nobody's talking about it but that is because of the Jamer Candelario signing. There is no space for India in that lineup and more so in that infield. At the moment, if you look right now, Candelario can both play first base and third base. But keep in mind, they've got a young Matt McClain who looks like an absolute stud. They've got Ellie De La Cruz, who is an absolute stud. You have Spencer Steer that may now have to go to the outfield due to this issue because you also have Christian Encarnacion Strand. There are a lot of pieces there. I think the odd man out is going to be India. 
So keep an eye on that as well. Any last final thoughts, Derek, before we sign out? No, I'm just excited. Add Astra, man, to the stars. And let's get some more stars signing here soon. I think I think we will. We'll get a, a couple more Christmas gifts along the way. Derek and I are very happy. We also wish you a Merry Christmas as well. We'll be back after Christmas season. Until then, though, we, uh, we hope you get the proper drinks to celebrate. Cheers to you. Thanks for listening again. Uh, we'll be back before the start of the new year as we head into 2024. Uh, but with that being said, on behalf of Derek Johnson, I'm Dusty Baker. Thanks again for pulling up a bar stool and hanging with us. We'll grab a drink again after Christmas. We'll talk to you then. Cheers. <laughs>